Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. In 2020, a theologian named Amy Bird wrote a book called Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, in which she suggested that in many church circles, um, relations between men and women and leadership in the church are more driven by tradition and sexism than by scripture. And um, I, I, have a, I have that book. It's a really good book if you'd like to borrow it. But um, it wasn't well received in all circles. And uh, one, of the, one of the nastiest reactions was from a Facebook group called the Geneva Commons. It's a private group. And many of the members of the group were actually from her denomination, Amy Bird's denomination. And, and they didn't appreciate what she was saying in her book. In fact, before the book even came out, uh, there were hundreds of comments flooding the, the message board in, in this group, attacking the book and her ideas, but also just getting really personal and nasty, like attacking her husband and her marriage and her character and her sexuality and even her appearance attacking this woman for her appearance. And some of, the, some of the men, some of these guys in this group were elders in their churches. And it raised questions, you know, like how should Christians behave online? Like if your online identity is very different from who you are in person, what does that mean? Like, are you using the technology, right? Like what does accountability look like for how Christians behave online? You know, like, have you ever wondered, like, why, why is it the internet seems to bring out the worst in so many people? Well, that's an important question. One response or one answer uh, comes from uh, a, a man named Jaron Lanier. He wrote a book called 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. And he's got an explanation for this problem. He says that each of us has an inner troll. It's like an ugly alien living inside you that long ago uh, you forgot about. But why? Why is the inner troll even there at all? It's interesting. If you listen to this, he says, it's such a common problem. It must be a deep primal business, a tragedy of our inheritance. What exactly is the inner troll? Well, he doesn't have an answer for that. But as followers of Jesus, we do. Because Christianity says that the inner troll is sin. It's parts of our our uh, sin nature that are hanging on and we are, we are destined to continue fighting until the day we die. But it's sin. It's sin. And in some ways, we really shouldn't be surprised by online nastiness. Even if it's from Christians, we shouldn't be surprised by that. But in other ways, we need to tackle it because it, it, it kind of needs to be stamped out. We shouldn't be okay with that, right? Uh, in fact, there's some debate about whose fault it actually is. There's some debate. Like some people think it's, it's just our fault. It's a result of what happens when this technology falls into the hands of sinners. Some people think it's part of the design. So which is it? Well, that's what today is about. Uh, my answer, uh, I mean, I would say, yes, there's elements of both, but I'm, I am uh, not on the fence here. I, my answer is that it is deliberately awful. Okay, this persuasive technology is, is deliberately awful. That is my thesis. And yet, it is still no excuse for us being uh, really nasty online. So let's talk about that today. In fact, we're going to talk about it under four headings. 
that I think will be helpful. The first heading is reality and then the technology. And we'll talk about our opportunity and lastly, our identity. Okay, reality, technology, the opportunity, and our identity. So first, let's say a word about reality. And I've chosen this passage from Colossians 3 because in it, it just it, Paul so clearly recognizes that there is a tug of war in the heart of every Christian be, between two worlds or two ways of being. You, you think of it as the old versus the new. Think of it as the earthly versus the heavenly. Uh, both are in this passage. Think of it as reality versus the, the lies of the enemy. And it has always been that way. It is, there has always been that tug of war. It faced the Colossians. It faces us. And this passage has profound help. And, and so Paul's advice to us is, is that, first of all, if we want to navigate this life well, we want to focus on something different. We want to make a choice to set our hearts and to set our minds on things above, he says, where on Jesus, who is in heaven. He says, Jesus is in heaven. Like, that's true. Jesus is on the throne right now. And that's true and real. He also says that your life is hid with him. Like, that's how it is. And so that's reality. Like, that's, that's what we focus. And so Paul's inviting us to choose to set our hearts and minds on that because that's our reality. Jesus and where he is and our identity with him, that is our reality now. Then we're instructed to get rid of some things. Okay, we're going to get rid of some things that that are that don't belong to uh, that don't belong to who we are. That are part of the earthly nature. That are part of the old self. So he tells us to get rid of immorality, get rid of impurity and lust and evil desires and greed and idolatry. And and in case there's any doubt about whether God is okay with these, he's not neutral. It says Paul says that there will be wrath because of these things. God's wrath is coming. There's judgment on account of these things. And, and, and so his, his advice to us is get rid of these things. Get rid of anger and rage. Get rid of malice and slander and filthy language. Like, get rid of these things. And he includes lying. And the reason is because your old self is gone. That's not who you are anymore. It's not real. That's, that's, and, and so take it off. You can take that off. Like clothing, put it off. Get rid of it. Because Jesus is all in all. And, and, in, and instead, instead of, now that we've taken that stuff off, now what Paul tells us to do is instead put on some things. Put on compassion. Put on kindness and humility. Put on gentleness and patience. He, he says, bear with one another. Forgive. We're going to put these things on like, like clothing. Like this is the uniform, right, that suits us for life in the real world. And, and above all these things, he says, put on love. Put on love, which draws all these things together. And you know, it's interesting. Christians have always wrestled with how to live in this world, like in this kind of reality, and still know that it's not the real world. Like that's how it's always been. We've always had to make a choice to live in such a way that it is here on earth as it is in heaven. Right? That's, that's what Paul told the Colossians. Like that was the challenge that they faced and, and, they, and, and that was their responsibility and they didn't even have social media to contend with. They didn't have social media and not only that, they're only 20 years after Jesus. 
So if they struggled in this way, you better believe that in 2022, we will. And so Paul's advice to them, his instructions, uh, you're going to focus on Jesus, our our reality. You're going to put off sin and you're going to put on uh, righteousness. You're going to put it on. And and so that's, that's our responsibility now. Okay, that's the calling that we uh, that we have been given by by God. We, and if we don't do that, if we if we don't answer that call, we don't blame our inner troll. We can't blame sin for that. That was that's our choice. Okay, so we have this responsibility. At the same time, not every danger that we face in this world is of our making. Some, some of the dangers, they're just not our fault. And, and persuasive technologies are an example of that. So let's talk about the technology now. Let's talk about the technology. We, we've been talking about this for a, a couple of weeks now in this series, uh, Our Social Dilemma. But this, this morning, what I want to do is dig into what's really going on in some of these technologies and just expose some of the ways that this stuff is deliberately awful. Because it is. First, there's the problem of scoring virtue points. Now, you, you know what this is like. Uh, you know, a, f- a little while ago, there was a, a reunion of the cast and crew of the Harry Potter films. And it was, uh, you know, supposed to be a really lovely, special, uh, really cool reunion, really beautiful moment. And it brought together all the, almost all the actors who were still alive and the directors and stuff. And it was really lovely. But there was a notable absence. J.K. Rowling who is the author and the creator of the Harry Potter books. Like, she wasn't even invited. Why not? Because a while back, she made some, from a feminist perspective, she made some comments about trans women. And wouldn't you know, the social media mob judged her as intolerant, and they judged that as hate speech. And so the worst thing that can happen to a person online is she was cancelled. And she wasn't even welcome at the reunion of the characters that she created. Now this stuff happens all the time. It happens all the time because social media is like a, it's like a fishbowl. You know, you're constantly being watched. You say something helpful and acceptable and you can be rewarded with, with likes and retweets and stuff. But if you say something that is unhelpful or that's judged to be you know, hateful or, or not, not publicly acceptable, not politically correct, you can be punished with the angry emoji or unfollowed or blocked or worst of all, cancel culture. Now, in that kind of an environment, in that kind of context, how do we expect to have debate? How can we talk about anything honestly? How can anybody be expected to learn or change their mind if it's not safe to take a risk and, and say something and ask a question and may possibly make a mistake. That's a really, that's not a good scene. Like it's a really bad scene. Uh, one uh, speaker and author I've really come to respect is Chimamanda Adichie. And she says, so we have a generation of young people on social media so terrified of having the wrong opinions that they have robbed themselves of the opportunity to think and to learn and to grow. I've spoken to young people who tell me they're terrified to tweet anything, that they read and reread their tweets because they fear that they will be attacked by their own. The assumption of good faith is dead. What matters is not goodness, but the appearance of goodness. We are no longer human beings. 
Listen to this. We are now angels jostling to out-angel one another. God help us. It is obscene. It's obscene, she says. I, I think she's so right. And so we need to understand social media is organized. It's kind of, it's rigged to reward us with virtue points and punish us by taking virtue points away. And that can have real world consequences for you. So that's one problem. Another problem is the problem of amplified rage. Amplified rage. Now, you may have heard of Frances Hagen. She was a, a Facebook executive until she left. Uh, and when she did, she leaked like thousands of, of internal documents and those became called the Facebook papers. And when she did, we learned that Facebook's algorithm is set up with a, like more than 10,000 different signals that it uses in order to uh, rank a certain post uh, as being desert, you know, worthy of being seen by a lot of people or being buried altogether. And some of those signals we, we learned were like, if, if a post gets a comment, that's really, that's better than a, a like. And a, a, a long comment is better than a short one. Uh, a post from a user who's online like 20 hours a week, that's more valuable than a, a, a comment from a user who's only on, you know, once in a while. So there's these signals. And, and then in 2017, well, when Facebook noticed that there's this dip in comments, they introduced as this, these uh, emojis to choose from. And so now when you log on to Facebook, besides just the, the thumbs up of, of liking a post, now you can love it, you can hug it, you can, sh you can share a, a, a laugh emoji, you can share a wow or a sad emoji or an angry face. Okay? And what's interesting about that is the algorithm scores these emojis uh, five times more valuable than a like. So every one of these emojis is worth five times what a like is in terms of ranking that post as worthy or unworthy of being seen. And it seemed like a good idea, but it didn't turn out so good because the angry emoji became way more popular than any of the others. Well, Frances Hagen, she shared her concerns when she testified uh, before Congress in the US. She said that the, it turns out the easiest way to grow on Facebook is by using anger and hate. Bad actors have an incentive to play the algorithm. She says the current system is biased towards bad actors and people who push people to the extremes. You hear that? You know, when, when former executives and engineers at face, Facebook and different uh, persuasive technology companies, when they leave and they say stuff like this, we should pay attention to that, okay? But there's another side to this as well, because the Facebook sh papers showed us that, um, yeah, there's a lot of rage to go around. But another thing we learned is that the nastiest stuff tended to, tended to come actually from like ultra conservatives. Like, yes, the left and the right are both capable of nastiness, but most of the really harmful, dangerous stuff was actually coming from ultra conservatives. And that put Facebook in a really tough situation. And as the executives debated it, and as Mark Zuckerberg wrestled with what to do, they realized, like, if we restrict this behavior, it seems like we prefer the left. It seems like we're being unfair and biased. And so what we have is this situation where it's not in Facebook's interest to limit those rage and hate posts, because they look bad, 
Okay, but if they amplify it and if it's actually profitable for them and it's super easy to do. And that's the situation we find ourselves in. Well, it's something that other engineers and execs saw coming a long time ago. Jaron Lanier, who I mentioned earlier, he says, maybe it wouldn't have been so bad if human psychology worked differently, but negative emotions like paranoia, fear and resentment and status anxiety can be stimulated quickly and then take a while to dissipate. Positive ones are slow to rise and can be shattered quickly. Because Facebook's customers, like these third company, third party companies, because they were spending based on constant quick feedback, from their point of view, negative emotions were great bargains in getting and keeping attention. Listen to this, nastiness turned out to be like crude oil for the social media companies and other behavior manipulation empires. You hear that? Nastiness turned out to be like crude oil for the social media companies. Yeah, it's pretty deliberately awful. Uh, another reason is because of this, what we now know is an English-speaking bias. There's an English-speaking bias. So in 2018, a group of friends in rural India, they go for a drive out to the country to have a picnic. And as they park their car and they approach their spot, they stop and they, they share some of their food, some, some chocolates with some kids, which is actually a very normal thing in India to do. Well, some of the neighbors saw it. They were very upset. They took photos and they shared them, the photos on WhatsApp and they put messages and threats up and accused these guys of being kidnappers. And they called for violence and, and, uh, and they offered rewards. And all of a sudden, there are 2,000 people who showed up, flipped the car that these guys had arrived in and beat these guys one of whom died. One of these guys died. In fact, over a couple of years, more than two dozen people in India died because of violence uh, caused by misinformation shared over WhatsApp, which happens to be owned by Facebook. Now, if, those, if that had happened in Canada or the United States, if those, had, those messages had been shared on WhatsApp, the violence filters would have caught it. And, and those messages would have been flagged and removed and the people who posted them would have been warned about it because Facebook has a really good uh, violence filter. Like the algorithm is actually really good at, at finding and uh, removing violence and, and threats if you speak English. If you speak English. But Facebook users speak more than 100 different languages. And there's more than 400 million users in India alone who speak not, who don't speak English. They speak Hindi and they speak Tamil and they speak Bengali and some of them do speak English. But Facebook isn't ready for this much rage and violence and international hate. They're not ready for that. They're not configured for that. And we should ask, why not? Why not? Like, because in 2020 alone, Facebook's profits were 29 billion, with a B, $29 billion. That's not revenue, that's net profit. And certainly, if they wanted to change, if they wanted to implement the changes uh, to reduce this violence, surely they could afford to. So why don't they? It's pretty awful. And then, and then finally, there's the problem of disappearing empathy, is the last one. You know, you and I on the ground, we know you can't have a society without empathy. Empathy is what says, uh, I'm not gonna judge you until I've walked a mile in your shoes. 
Now, what happens to empathy when the algorithm shows each of us a different reality? Like it's showing each of us a different set of facts. It means I can't possibly walk a mile in, in your shoes because you're too different from me. I can't relate to you. And so we know now that you can, you can score a lot of points on social media. We've seen this. You can score a lot of points if you can share posts you know, that present evidence of a cover-up or a conspiracy. You know? and, and if I, the thing is, if I post it, and if you don't like it or if you don't share it, maybe, maybe the reason you're not sharing it is because maybe you're part of the cover-up too. And, and maybe you're my enemy. Well, I, I can't empathize with you if you're my enemy. And we know that you can also score a lot of points on social media if you share videos of like a, a fight or of a, you know, a person in the airport freaking out at the counter. We can score a lot of points if we share videos of a, of a porch pirate stealing packages like Amazon packages. And if you share that, and then you can get a lot of points. If you comment on it, or if you mash that angry emoji, you can, you can score more points uh, on social media. But what you don't see is what happened in that person's life just before the video. You don't, you don't see what's going on in that person's life to bring them to this point where they are so stressed at the person behind the counter that they would scream at them in the airport. We don't hear their story. All we see is a person at their very worst moment in their life. And it's now public forever. And so as a result of that, more and more, empathy is disappearing. Empathy is disappearing. Well, that is all, all, like, taken together, all of that is pretty deliberately awful. And we haven't even mentioned bots. We haven't mentioned porn or coordinated attacks on uh, you know, democracies. Uh, hopefully you're convinced by, by now, but even if you're not, I, I guess I would just say, like, deliberate can mean a couple of different things. Like, deliberate can mean the intentional design choices that these companies make that amplify the nastiness. And we've seen that that's, that's true in a lot of cases, right? But I would also just remind us that willful neglect is just as deliberate. And we know that these tech companies know how their tech is being used. They, they, we know that they're not doing nearly enough to reduce uh, harm and to be accountable for the ways that this technology is being used. They're not doing near enough to protect the users. We know that. And so whether it's by design or by willful neglect, what I'm saying is that this awfulness that we see is deliberate. This stuff is deliberately awful. And as users, what that means is that we can't plead ignorance anymore. We cannot plead ignorance anymore. As a, as a, as a matter of discipleship, we have a moral, uh, like an ethical decision to make. We have a decision to make. Now, when, when Christians encounter how deliberately awful uh, this technology can be, I sometimes observe a couple of different attitudes. One is to shun this technology altogether, and another is just a sense of defeat. So let me say a word about those. Like, for the people who would shun it, I, I would say, like, there are good reasons why you might abstain from social media, for sure. But there, there is a temptation that comes along with that. Like, you'll be tempted towards, like, self-righteousness, or to, to, you'll be tempted to judge people who've made a different choice. You'll be tempted to make a rule and say that no Christian 
uh, can, you know, should use this technology at all. And, and so for, for, if, for people who've decided not to use any social media at all, like I totally get that. But it's not like it's an easy choice. It's, it's not like it's, uh, it's, not like it's um, easy to abstain and yet be a person who shows grace to others. Like that's actually a hard discipline. So that's one response that I see. Another response that I see is people who sort of resign themselves to this technology and with a sense of defeat. And, and the, their posture is kind of like, well, I can't possibly live without this. I guess I'm just a hypocrite. I guess I'm just a failure. And they surrender to it. They feel defeated and condemned and they just live under this cloud and, and, you know, I totally support a person's choice to use social media for the glory of God. But I would say it's not like we have to. Like, it wouldn't actually kill us to get off of social media. You know what I mean? And, and, and what I would want to say to both groups, whether you're a, a shunner or whether you're defeated about social media, what I would say is like, yes, it is awful. It is awful. And we need to take it seriously. But at the same time, this isn't new. This isn't a new challenge. It is this, actually the same old problem, just dressed up in new clothes. It's the same problem, same ancient problem in a new form. And so I wonder, what if we could relate to this technology like it's an opportunity? Like what, what does it look like for us as users of this technology to, to use this uh, for the sake of the kingdom? You know, to apply kingdom values to our use of this technology. What does that look like? Well, what do we need to remember in order to practice the way of Jesus online so that it would be online as it is in heaven? What would that, what would that look like? Well, we have answers for that. We've seen it already. We actually have all the help we need. Paul's already told us. Our, our responsibilities, we're going to begin by focusing on what's real. We focus on Christ and what he has done. Because that's real. What happens online, that's not real life. Those points, those virtue points are not real. That's not the real world. The, your real life is hid with Christ on high. And so maybe for you that means that when you start your day, before you ever open up your, you know, Facebook or, or Snapchat or, or Twitter, whatever, whatever your practice is, before you ever open that up, maybe you've had some time alone with God to hear his voice in scripture, to remind you who you are, you know, to remind you that you belong to him, to orient your life around him. Because, you know, as our lives are oriented around Christ, grounded in Christ, you know, the less we actually need to score points off of one another. Because we know that's not real. Jesus is real. Jesus is real, and he's our focus. We focus on him. And then we're going to get rid of some things that we don't need. We need we're going to remember that there was a time when we had no choice but to succumb to the awfulness of, of this technology. But that, that person who had no choice, that person who was powerless, that person's dead. And so this technology actually has no power over us anymore. That's who you are. It has no power over you. Not, not really. Not if you don't give it to it. And so we can say no to immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires and greed and idolatry and all of these things. We can say no to these. And so maybe you uh, getting rid of these things, maybe it means that as you look at your practice, your online practices, maybe you're going to unfriend some people. 
Maybe you're going to leave some, some, uh, some discussion groups. Maybe you're going to delete some apps. Maybe you need to set up some accountability to help you to repent of something that you're having a hard time repenting of. You know, because of, because of Jesus, we can actually get rid of these things. We actually don't need them. I, I just think that that is so helpful, so important. We actually don't have to live this way, and we can get rid of those things. And we, the third thing that remember that he, he told us we're going to do is we're going to put some better things on. We're going to put on some better things. We're going to put on a whole new set of online values. Think of what compassion looks like online. Kindness, humility, all the things that Paul mentions in this passage, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and above all these things, putting on love. Can you imagine? So, so maybe for you, you need to be reminded, we actually, we're going to use this technology to bless others. If we use it at all, we use it to bless others, not to score points. We don't need to mock anyone or slander anyone. We don't need to cancel people in order to feel good about ourselves. Not if we believe that Jesus is all and in all. That's our reality. You know, we, we as followers of Jesus, we are the people whose lives are oriented around this idea that he died and he rose and that transformed every aspect of life. Like that informs every other kind of space that we inhabit, our, our family and our parenting and our work and our, you know, our finances and, and church life. All of that is informed by the gospel. And technology is just one more of those worlds. It's just one more of those realms that we inhabit. And so what I'm saying is, yes, this technology is deliberately awful, but we don't have to be. Like, we actually have an incredible opportunity to bless others and to experience God's goodness, okay? And, and, and really, and be the same person in real life as we are online because we have, we focus on Christ, we put off the old nature, we put on the new. That's our opportunity. And let me close with this, a word about our identity. Our identity. You know, the longer that I wrestle with what my relationship with social media is going to be, the more it seems to me that, like, for a lot of us, and, and certainly for me at different times, it's like a secret identity. You know what I mean by a secret identity? Superheroes have a secret identity. Like, like Batman is secretly Bruce Wayne. Wonder Woman is secretly Diana Prince. Spider-Man is secretly Peter Parker. And, and on and on. All the heroes, Okay. And they live this average, mild-mannered life by day, and then they put on a costume, and then boom. They can be strong, and they can be fast, and they can stop bullets, and they can run faster than time, and beat up bad guys. And they can do that because they have this secret identity that is way more interesting and way more impressive than the real life, their ordinary life, that they lead when they're not wearing the costume. And I think that some of us relate to social media and, and this technology in the same way. Like, for some of us, it's an escape from this world. We escape from the bullies and the critics and the stresses of, of our lives. And for some of us, we escape to another place where we feel more free and empowered and we feel more heard. Or maybe because we're anonymous and we feel safe there. We feel more connected. But you know, the problem about having a secret identity, and, and this doesn't really make it into the movies, but there is this ongoing identity crisis 
you know, the, the, some, like, like, there's this crisis where they ask, like, who am I really? Which is the real me? Am I, am I actually Spider-Man or am I Peter Parker? Am I really Batman or am I Bruce Wayne? Which of these is the real me? And what I hope that we hear the Lord saying to us this morning is that for everybody who has given their lives to Jesus, that identity crisis is it's settled. Like the real you, the really real you, is neither like ordinary nor like anonymously super, okay? Like we are not meant to go back and forth between being boring and ordinary and being amazing and impressive. Like that's actually not a good existence. We are not made to be like a sweethearted church and nasty online. Like that's actually a horrible way to live. But, but Christ gives us a new identity, a new uh, life in him. And it's one. It is one thing in him. It's, we don't have one life online and one in person. We have one new redeemed identity, one reality, so that we put off the old ways, we put on the new ways, the better ways. And as we do, it can be a little more on earth as it is in heaven. And it can be a little more in your family as it is in heaven. And a little more at work uh, as it is in heaven. And a little more online as it is in heaven. Now next week when we get together, we're going to uh, have our fourth message in this series. We're going to focus on the effects of this technology on children so that we can uh, raise our kids wisely and prepare them and protect them. And so that message is called Dangerously Parental. And then the final week, we are going to create some space for each of us to, to share something, share an insight or share a truth or an idea about who we are in Christ instead of what this technology wants us to believe about ourselves. So there will be time for discussion. Then we're going to hear your ideas. And I encourage you to start thinking about it now. The question is, what is one thing to remember that can help us to face our social dilemma and not be overcome you know, by this technology, but to glorify God? Okay? What do we need to remember that can help us to face this social dilemma and not be overcome, but glorify God? In the meantime, here are our take-it-home questions for this week. Uh, there are three of them. Let me go through them real quick. Number one. What parts of technology bring out the worst in you? Okay, question two. What does uh, technology allow you to escape from? What does this technology allow you to escape from? And what does it allow you to escape to? Question three. What is it that you need to take off? Uh, what is it that you need to put on in order to better imitate Jesus online? Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven. Music